Engaging Leader Podcast, episode 155, How to Inspire Lifetime Loyalty, featuring Lee Carraher. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. As millions of millennials and even the younger Gen Zers come into the workforce with very different expectations and definitions of loyalty. Companies need to shift to make the most of those workers' energy, skill sets, and incredible potential. And those companies that shift now for the long game of allegiance will have a strategic talent and efficiency advantage over those that don't. Today we'll be talking with author Lee Carraher about her new book, The Boomerang Principle, Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. It's about how companies and leaders can realize tremendous advantages by letting go of their old definition of workplace loyalty and replacing it with a mindset that inspires employees to be loyal for their lifetimes, whether they're employed by the company or not. Lee is the founder and CEO of Double Forte, a national PR and digital media agency based in San Francisco. In addition, she does keynotes and workshops and is a recognized expert on creating high-performing, positive, intergenerational workplaces. Her first book came out in 2014. It was Millennials in Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. And in her new book, The Boomerang Principle, she goes beyond just talking about millennials and is about talking about how to inspire lifetime loyalty from all your employees. Lee Carraher, welcome to Engaging Leader. Jesse, it is so awesome to be with you. Thank you for having me. Glad to. Lee, your firm, Double Forte, focuses on public relations and digital marketing. And yet this is your second book that's really about recruiting and retaining employees. How did that come about? You know, um, you're absolutely right. And what I, you know, and, and I've been in a leadership position for a long time. My company, Double Forte, is about 15 years old, and I founded it in 2002 after running very large organizations for two other um, companies. And, um, you know, in large organizations, you get a lot of leadership development and all the stuff about running big companies. Um, and then when I started my own company, I found out that not everything is transferable when you're in charge and you own it. Uh, and number two, there weren't enough um, places I could go to refer to, like how to run a company, not just like you know how to communicate or how to do conflict resolution, but like the whole picture about how to be a leader in today's workplace, which is very different from a lot of the leadership development that has come up in the you know in large organizations in the last twenty years. So um, with trial and error. Uh, we have built, uh, you know, a company that is now 15 years old, has an excellent, you know, we're just, we're really, I'm so proud of the company and the people who are in it. We have really low churn rates on our clients and very low churn rates in our people. And um, that was hard won. Those low churn rates were mm. very hard won with very painful lessons. And um, I was actually asked to write my first book to help people figure out how to work with millennials. And the second book, The Boomerang Principle, comes out of that. Just more, is more helpful I can be in the world, the better I'm going to feel about it. <laughs> Speaking of millennials, your new book, mm-hmm. even though it's not focused on millennials, you've got this chapter, When Millennials Thrive, So Do Gen Xers and Boomers. Explain that yeah. for us. 
So, you know, there's so much negativity around millennials. If you Googled it today, you would find over (laughs) 5 million negative entries about working with millennials. And I think it's just so ill-founded. And the the deal is, you know, this generation, like Boomer, I'm a Boomer. I'm in the last year of Boomer. And the Gen Xers before them each have its own – each generation has its own characteristics, although you cannot say that everybody in a a generation is the same. And when I was peeling the onion on this – um, you know, there's just some negativity. Oh, these millennials, they're just so entitled. They want, what do they want? <laughs> there's so many articles. What do they want? I'm like, oh my gosh, they don't want anything different than what we wanted. They just talk about it. Hmm. And um, number one, number two is that millennials have, you know, the hierarchical uh, structure that uh, boomers and, and for the most part, extras were most used to and was sort of the norm uh, 20, 30 years ago, is antithetical to the millennial experience. So when you can make adjustments to um, bring, to provide context, which is the most important thing, and to allow input, even if you don't take it, and to listen and to create careers, um, you know, when you allow a millennial to um, be in a situation where they feel uh, wanted, number one, and then uh, where they have more responsibility for themselves, number two, who doesn't want that? And uh, my experience has been when you create that kind of environment, not only do millennials thrive, but also boomers and Xers. But the reverse is not necessarily true. How, how so? Well, a boomer, um, so, boom, you know, boomers are much, this negativity comes out of an experience, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fact that they don't like what's going on is where the negativity comes from. So, um by definition, if uh, there's a generation um, a generational bias, what people have liked, this hierarchical pay your dues, you get you get uh, what you get when you want it, do what I say, command and control, which is how we grew up in, um, that does not work. Any, none, none of those things work any longer. So what it doesn't mean, though, that uh, we all don't want the same thing. We just have different expectations of when we should get it. The subtitle of your new book is about inspiring lifetime loyalty. Yeah. What's the traditional definition of workplace loyalty? Right. The traditional de- uh, definition of workplace loyalty is you're loyal while I pay you. And uh, it's all about tenure, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, tenure is defined by the company. <laughs> so <laughs> um, you, we pay you as long as we want to. And you'll be loyal to us, which means you won't lie, you'll do your best, you won't betray us, you won't look for another job. And so um, in talking about my first book, I heard so many people talk to me about, oh, those millennials are so not loyal. Why should I spend any time with them? They're going to leave. They're job hoppers anyway. And um, this is a very antiquated point of view. Um, instead of thinking about it as tenure-based, my belief is that we should be thinking about employees as uh, we want our employees to be loyal to the organizations that they have been through for their entire careers. And if we can do that, regardless of if we pay them or not, our companies will benefit in so many ways in recruiting, in business development, in the bottom line. And that is what I seek to show people in the Boomerang Principle. You, in the book, mentioned Sidney Finkelstein's book, Super Bosses, and we yeah. had him on the show a while back. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> Very definitely a fan. And that that was where I first heard the the whole I mean I'd heard of corporate alumni before, but the idea mm-hmm. of actually making it a strategic advantage to develop alumni uh, mm-hmm. was a, was a big deal. How 
was that just a reference in your book or had did he actually influence your thinking about it was a reference i had already we've already started we had an alumni program a long long time ago um i didn't think about it that way um but i think uh i am a voracious reader (laughs) so um as you can see in the book i you know i reference a lot of other people um and uh, i think as a leader you have to be um because you want you know, the best leaders are the ones who are open to new ideas and sort of pick and choose the things that work for their culture and are, are constantly sort of tweaking uh, over time. Um, I the corporate program he talked about, um, and I and I think that he very much spoke, spoke about McKenzie. I spoke with I've spoken with McKenzie many times about this topic, and the you know if the boomerang principle, which is um, uh, those companies, the belief that those companies that allow and encourage their former employees to return have a strategic advantage over those that don't, you know, that's basically, you know, having an open mind, right, to having people return. It's powered by a corporate alumni program, which is a very new phenomena. They're not, you know, in terms of percentage, it's not even 10% of companies have this uh, in this country. And I think that will be a huge dynamic that will, we're at the beginning of this phenomena um, that will really change the din- dynamic between employees and their employers. One point you made that I didn't even get out of Superbosses was that, especially in any kind of consumer product company or consumer services, that the alumni program, it doesn't just pay off for the employer when they boomerang back to you, but mm-hmm. even when they're out there, as an alumni, if they have, if they're loyal to your company, they're actually ambassadors to all your other customers. Absolutely, they're not just. A, first of all, they're customers, right? If you're a cons- well, they're customers if they can be, right? If you're loyal, right. like people who go through P and G, they buy P and G products for the rest of their lives, right? Yeah. Unless they go to a competitor, and um, because they learn so much, people who have been in marketing at Procter and Gamble. Basically, it's the MBA of uh, consumer packaged goods. And those people buy products for the rest of their lives that are P&G products. The thing about um, an alumni program is not just about, you know, having people be able to come back to you, which is a huge advantage because you have driven down the cost of recruiting. You've more than half the cost of onboarding. I mean, these are things that translate right to the bottom line. But the longer you have people out there um, who are still loyal to you, uh, the more they are your advocates either from a brand perspective or for a talent brand perspective. And frankly, you know, from my public relations work, right, this is where it really, you know, those, these two things really matter is the larger the cohort of people who love you or talk about you or think good things about you, the better your business is. But you quote several people in, in the book who just can't leaders who can't help feeling betrayed when people love mm. them. So how could I ever let them come back? They've obviously proved they're not going to be loyal. Yep. So how, misguided. <laughs> how when you when you've talked to people like that, are, are you able to turn them around? How, how do you they... know? I'm I'm often able to turn them around as long as I um, use my humor to my <laughs> advantage. <laughs> Now, here's the deal. You hire someone, you know they're going to leave. The day you hire someone, you know they're leaving you. So it should not be a surprise, right, that people leave. The um, what They don't leave. The difference today more than anything else is that they're leaving on their own volition, not because the company said it's time to move along, right? <laughs> 
And this idea of lifetime employment, which is still, you know, it's still talking as a broken promise. Uh, this broken promise, American dream, work hard, the company will take care of you. That's still in the ethos. We still talk about that. But it's nowhere near reality, right? And what we know is that um, in 2010, 10 million people lost their jobs, despite the fact that they had been, you know, 99.99% of them had been good workers, very loyal, you know, done everything their company told them to do. And the break that break was sort of the final break over 20 years of really understand, um, really that break between um, the implied uh, contract between an employer and an employee. If you work hard, we take care of you. So in the aftermath of this, right, we have uh, millennials, which is the largest generation. There are 80 million millennials in this country, which outstrips um, uh, Xers by almost double and boomers by about two or three million, um, who have grown up in, coming into the workplace knowing that they should not count on a company. They should need to craft their own career. Don't get stale. Their parents have told them, don't get stale. Don't get caught like I did. I lost my job and I couldn't find another one because people thought I wasn't relevant. I'd stayed at that job for seven or eight years. So, you know, these are all true dynamics, right? There's antidotal instant, uh, information. There's, re you know, there's data on this. So, although the culture has shown us that we have to take care of ourselves and we have to go to companies that help us create our own careers, uh, companies have not sort of matched the reality that they created. And the uh, so when I when I talk about those date that data, you know, sort of light bulbs start going off. And when I talk about um, you know, the issue is not people leaving. The issue is mediocre people staying. <laughs> so if you focus on, instead of worrying about people leaving, you focus on um, putting as much effort into helping people be as productive as possible when they're with you, number one, people stay longer. And number two, people come back. Uh, because what that, you know, productivity is a function of culture and overall for lack of a better term, it's a very woo-woo, I understand, but happiness at work. And um, the happier your workplace, the more productive it is. Um, and we should not assume that a happy workplace is not one that has a very high standard of work. They need to go hand in hand. Yeah. You've been at Double Forte very intentional about the alumni program that you've run. Tell, tell us about that. So... Uh, when people leave the company, either by their own choice or because we, we mutually decide that it's the best thing for that person to achieve their goals, um, the first thing we do is uh, thank them for their service, right? And um, they immediately get um, a letter uh, and they immediately get told, I hope you come back. Uh, I hope everyone comes back um, when it makes sense. Not that they would you know, the company would just open the doors and go, hey, we have a job for you. You know, has to, we have to have the business, we have to have the right position, and they have to be in the right place. But, you know, I hope that everyone comes back to Double Forte in some way, shape, or form, because it will have been important to them. Uh, the company will have been important to them. What we do is um, there we have a private Facebook group. We're not large enough to have our own platform, uh, like McKinsey does, you know. But we have our <laughs> private Facebook group. We've taken it out of LinkedIn. LinkedIn is way, it's much too loosey-goosey. Um, and we want to own this, right? Um, Double, Double Forte owns its own corporate program. We don't allow a former employee to administer it. Um, there are might be LinkedIn program, you know, LinkedIn groups out there of formal Double Forte people, 
that they manage, but this is the one we manage, and we can do that best in Facebook private groups. Um, so that one, they're invited to that, and uh, I think there's only three people over 15 years who are not in that group right now. Hmm. Uh, number one, then they get um, um, they get a box from me, which is welcome to the alumni program, and in it is a T-shirt and some other stuff, um, and it says, you know, I'm we're, I I personally am so proud that you chose to be a double forte for part of your career. I hope you're always uh, be part of the alumni group. And then in the um, Facebook group, and so there's two things. One, they get a probably a monthly email. They're on an email distribution list, and they get a special email from me or somebody else in the company um, between six and 12 times a, month, a year, depending on what's going on. And then in the Facebook group, um, we post things that are specific to the alumni, either uh, where those people are, you know, showcasing, you know, what Jonathan's doing today or something like that, or information that we find, um, we think that they would be useful to them. And if we can, um, we pass on uh, discounts from our clients or things that we're doing. And then at Christmas, uh, we send them all something. Just keeping them in the hole, keep them in the fold, you know, sort of if you think about it as you know, for those of us who are a part of our alumni programs from high school or from college, you know, the beautiful thing is you're not asking people for money. <laughs> you're just trying <laughs> to keep them attached to you. You know, so as much as the alumni program is an engine for recruiting, matriculation, and fundraising for, you know, for universities and colleges, uh, we don't have to ask for money when you're a corporate uh, alumni program. What about the – if you basically make a bad hire and you it, it's one mm-hmm. where either they – they figure it out within the first week or couple months, or you figure it out pretty pretty quickly. Do you still invite that person when it was really a sort of a matter of churn? You know, um, there are a few people I have not invited. That is true, um, but there are people who um, we you know just wasn't a good fit, and they they are invited anyway. Um, if people work. If we worked in good, you know, hopefully Double Forte always works in good with good intent and with good intention and uh, with good values and we treat everyone with respect. That is our, always our goal. If the other person did the same, then they're invited. If the other person did not and we feel like we did everything we could, then they're not invited. doesn't happen very often. <laughs> so the, the rule of thumb is if, if, if they basically stayed true to the, the, their values. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's simple. So you don't have to really values, overthink which, about it. No, I mean, you know, it gets it's messy, right? There's no <laughs> it's interesting, you know, so much about so much about leadership development before was about um checking boxes and making sure everything looked perfect on a grid and ten percent of the people got churned out with the six sigma and all that kind of stuff. You know, people are messy, work is messy. The develop, you know, how are we, uh, our lives are messier today um, just because, you know, they just are. And um, the more stricture you put around things like absolutes, the less they are effective, I think. Yeah. You mentioned uh, gifts like at, at the holidays. Yeah. What, so can you share with us what kind of gifts you oh, might sure. send? I mean, they're nothing. It's nothing, you know. It's not a gold Rolex watch, that's for sure. <laughs> no, but, you know, usually at the, at, uh, in the holiday time, we will do a, a jacket or a T-shirt or a water bottle or something, you know, that our clients all get and our people get. And so we add, you know, we just add to the order. And um, 
obviously we know their sizes because we've kept track of them. Mm. So, and they, you know, they just get something else. Hmm. Okay. So, but that's a, it's still some, I mean, okay, a water bottle maybe isn't that much money, but, but a jacket, let's say that's, you're, you're not a huge company. And so that's a, no, that's we're a not. definite investment that you're making. Well, I think though, you think about the investment you make on recruiting, right? So every time we have a job opening, the first place we go is to our alumni group and say, we're looking for a fill in the blank, you know, account executive and social media. And hopefully that person will be in New York. Who do you know? If we and and more than fifty percent of the time, someone brings someone forward that makes it into the pile. Mm. Well, we have just shortened our recruiting, you know, by months. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it is not. Um, and if you think about if uh, someone leaves, you know, costs an organization two to three times that person's salary when someone leaves in terms of lost productivity, recruiting fees, and then and and having to hire someone at a higher rate or whatever, right? So if you're paying someone $50,000, it's a $150,000 uh, deal. So anything you can do to shorten that up is worth the investment. And, you know, if it's a $50 jacket every five years, I think we can do that. <laughs> what does Double Forte's interview process look like? Oh, my gosh. Well, it has definitely changed a lot in mm. the last few years. So um, our process is that the people who will be working with that person are uh, heavily involved in the process. Um, and for instance, I don't, unless they're going to report to me, I don't see people until the end, uh, if at all, in the process. Because I really don't want it to be a, you know, Lee said so, so we're hiring that person kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we create um, the job description which is really fluid. You know, in our kind of business, we never find someone who has exactly what we want. And I think that's true in most businesses, even in engineering, when you want to have certain skills. <laughs> um, and we're looking for, um, we have sort of four rules. You know, one, no jerks. Two, uh, we can teach people how to, if you can write, we can teach people to do everything else. Um uh, it has to be a good team player. So individual contributors who are good team players and you have to be curious because uh, in our work, if you're not curious, you're not going to be able to do the kind of work we have to do. And those are the four things. And we test for those um, with some skill stuff and then some interview things. But it comes starts with the person who be the manager and then the people who be the teammates. And then um, people come in. If we like them, they take a test. Um, if they pass the writing test, then they go to the next level. Um, and then it's a sort of figuring out the long term. Because if we if we hire for an immediate need, um, you know, our business is predicated on clients. So we have to hire for immediate needs and the long-term need. So we're always looking sort of at the next couple of years, like where are we going? Who do we think is going to be? If everybody stays, which is our hope, you know, who's going to be moving up and moving out and all that kind of stuff. So we sort of look at a two-year out um, to see if we're going to have a person who can fit the immediate need, but then would also, we think, move forward in a constructive way, even if it's not in a linear path. Are Is your whole team traditional employees, or do you ha use contractors and freelancers as well? Um, we do use, con the contractors we use are people we would wish were full-time employees. <laughs> 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 so... Um, and the benefit of that is they scale up and down, but um, we don't hire any contractors we wouldn't want to hire as full-time employees, but they choose to be contractors for different reasons. Um, 
I believe in, you know, the future of work is going to have a lot, you know, I, I believe a company should be giving um, benefits and should be giving, you know, affording people these things. You can really only do that if they're employees because of the cost uh, analysis on that. But, um, you know, I don't imagine a future that we're not using contractors in some way, shape or form, either to provide extra capacity or because the people that we would love to hire full time, you know, simply don't want to be employees. They want to have more say in how um, they structure their day than a company could. Mm-hmm. Even a company as flexible as ours, you know, still has structure. You mentioned the, some of the different tests that you do in the mm-hmm. recruiting process, especially writing. And I'm, I'm yeah. curious, can you can you tell us a little, a little bit more sure. specifics about that test? So, you know, the most important thing that we do is um, we help people communicate, right? <laughs> and we, our job for our clients is to help people identify what is the story, what is their message, and how we should engage with uh, employees, customers, and partners through the written word, through the uh, through photography, through social media, through video, all that kind of stuff. At the basic level, it is writing. It is actually putting word to paper or computer or whatever and being able to craft a cogent, compelling, engaging story. And if you can't write, you can't do our work in 140 characters or in 10,000 <laughs> words, you know. So um, – we never used to have to test for writing. Uh, writing skill is definitely uh, something that we all lament in the communications world, that writing is not um, as prized a skill as it used to be. So we have a pretty robust writing program for everybody. But if you can't put two sentences together, you know, we, we can't start at remedial. Um, so we have a writing test that gives people, depending on the level of the person, how many years they've been around, you know, different writing tests for different levels to see how they can take facts and put them together. Um, if their grammar is good, if the spelling's good, if the st- sentence structure is good, not just all simple sentences or not just all run-on sentences, all that kind of stuff. And then depending on depending on the level of the person, depending, you know, there are lots of things that depend on it. We take a look at it and um, determine whether or not we can either just plug that person right in if that person's going to need some training, but they have a good foundation or if that person really won't be able to cut it. And about, I have to say, sadly, about 50% of the time people can't cut it. And so that's a, that's essentially a, like a homegrown test? It's a homegrown test. And how about the, let's say that they can cut it, but they're going to they're gonna need some additional training. You mentioned a program. Is that a homegrown Oh, yeah. So, too? yeah. So we have a whole set of... Um, training mechanisms and exercises that we put into people's development. So each person has their own development program. Um, and I think this was actually really very much informed by my son. My younger son has special needs and he is an IEP, an individual education program. Um, but he's, in a, he's among in a class among 16 other kids who have each of their own IEPs and they all have very different um, education schedules depending on their own special needs. And that highly influenced me in terms of the messiness of people in development, that everyone sort of comes where they are and you have to bring them to a certain point and it, the development may not look, the training may not look the same for everybody. So what we try to do is create, uh, we have modules and then, then there are also other resources like Linda or Udemy or all these kind of resources that exist. And then depending on that person, we put together our own modules and then um, publicly available modules uh, so that that person can, over time, 
uh, go through them in their in their workday and on their own. Um, we don't. Our responsibility is to make things available. I don't think our overall responsibility is always to make sure people um, use company time to do the things they need to do to advance. So this seems like a lot for. I mean, how how many? How big is your is, is double fourteen? Thirty six. So that's a seems like that's a significant investment of somebody's time to develop mm-hmm. all that and maintain it. How do you, who, whose job is that to, to uh, Well, I wish I could tell you that I had a person dedicated to that work. <laughs> um, it's been very hard to find a person who wants to come to a company our size who can do that, who we can afford. Um, so we have um, done best practices on, uh, with other agencies and sort of cobbled together our own thing. Um, in terms of maintaining it, it's a regular, we have quarterly, we're on a quarterly development system. So everyone has a one-on-one with their managers every week. Um, it's 30 to minutes long, but it's not just the to-do list. It's also sort of, I want to accomplish X by Y. I, you know, in this next section, I, you know, I want to be a fill-in-the-blank title. All right, if that's what you want to do, there's what you have to do to get there. Um, and then we figure out the work and, and then the training that has to go along with it. I think that the uh, it is a lot of time. Um, my experience is that the time has paid off because our churn rate is so low. People stay with us two and three times as long as they stay with other agencies mm. that the time pays off. Um, and I think that this is uh, – if I were – I understand how messy it is and what the investment is, but in terms of – constantly bringing people in and constantly recruiting the numbers we would have to do if we left, if people left us at the same rate, they leave other agencies, that would be more exhausting than this is. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't find this exhausting. It's a lot of work, but it's not exhausting because it's part of what makes people proud to be a double forte. So, you know, I meet with everybody who comes into the company and my first message to everybody is, I know you're going to leave us. What I hope is that when you leave us, that you are proud of being here and that will you can always look back on Double Forte and say, that made a difference in my career. If you come back to us, awesome. If you don't, I don't, you know, awesome. But as long as you can say Double Forte was important in your career, then Double Forte has mattered. And that is what personally as a leader matters to me. Well, I'm reminded of the, the old Stephen Covey principle, begin with the mm-hmm. end in mind. And I think most exactly. of us, when we... When we apply that to our role as leaders, we think, well, I want to achieve this outcome, this business outcome, and therefore I'm going to need a team to take care of this and that. And you actually go a whole step farther. I've never heard anybody do that and say, I'm going to, I'm imagining the day when, when this person leaves us, because it is going to happen mm-hmm. in one way, shape, or form at some time. And yep. so what does a, what does a very positive end uh, look like and how do we make that happen? That's amazing. Um, you know, I, it's what I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's what (laughs) I hope for. I can look at my own career and say, I, man, I mean, I learned a lot there, but it was miserable (laughs) and there's no reason for work to suck. We all have to work. Um, I don't think there's a reason to suck and (laughs) it have to suck. Um, everyone has personal responsibility and, and explaining to people their personal responsibility is sometimes challenging, Um, Because not everybody feels that. It's like, you know, I'm here, you owe me kind of thing. I, you know, I don't subscribe to that. So it is not everyone who would fit into this model for sure. 
But the people who are required to do the work we do and the services we provide, you know, uh, freedom and re- personal responsibility and um, sort of excellence that's constantly striving is really uh, so, so important. Nothing, you know, in the communications world, you know, the whole communications world has turned upside down like six times since I started my company. Like Facebook did not exist when I started Double Forte. Neither did LinkedIn, neither did Twitter, neither did Instagram, neither did Start, you know, none of these things. And yet today, um, we spend more time working through LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest than we do in the traditional public relations things called a media press release, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're not always learning, then we're obsolete. And if we're obsolete, you got no business. Um, and sort of that, uh, and it can't just be the leader who's always learning. Everybody always has to be learning and moving things forward. So when I had that epiphany, it really helped me sort of get over the fact that it's messy. <laughs> I like order. Yes. And I like a lot of order, but my life is not ordered. You know, I got two kids. I got a husband. I'm on three boards. I got a company. I got clients. I, you know, I'm in New York. I mean, you know, my life is not ordered at all. Why am I going to impose the thought of order onto, uh, you know, onto an organization that is basically people-based? Um, and, you know, I understand that, oh, my gosh, you have 30,000 people. You can't do that. Like, if you're 30,000 people, you're never going to get past that unless you do do that. Yeah. So investing in training and development programs, it, it, it pays off in two ways. One, because people are less likely to leave because they are learning and it makes their mm-hmm. experience more enjoyable. Uh, maybe it's three ways, I guess. It's obviously better for the longevity of the business. But yes. then because they don't leave, it, it, it then um, is a better investment because they're, they're there longer. And so all the training right. that you have has... has uh, well, in, in our business, we're, we charge for our time. So the more valuable you make somebody because their skills are better, the higher amount you charge per hour. So there's, you know, it's a business decision to be a good place to work, right? I'm, this is not like me being altruistic. <laughs> <laughs> it's a business decision to be a good place to be, to be a place where people can uh, realize their own personal goals. Um, and sometimes they can't, right? I want to do, uh, we had a woman who's like, I want to be a nurse. Well, we can't help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> what we can do is if you're going to go be a nursing student and you want to do freelance work for us off hours, we can do that, right? Um, so it's not, it's not ultra, you know, it's not just be me being a, you know, it's not just do-gooder stuff, right? It is actually right. a business decision. We know there's a lot of research that says, um, pe- you know, teams that feel appreciated outperforms those that don't, right? We, have, we know this, that if you have a team that knows that they are, they matter to an organization, they work better together, they produce higher results, and it translates right to the bottom line. That's a business decision. Um, you might, or, you know, I think, right? <laughs> um, and there and there's definitely organizations and people that would choose to make that business decision versus a uh, more command and control growth at any cost decision. Um, I choose to be A, not B. <laughs> Now, speaking of, of a great place to work, Double Forte has a wine and spirits division, and I'm thinking you yes. might need somebody like me in that division. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's so funny. We have a wine and spirits division. Uh, Double Forte acquired another company called The Barn Group um, a f- several years ago to expand that work. 
And uh, everyone wants to work in wine. <laughs> they don't let me very near those clients because I don't. All I know is what I like. I don't know much about what makes good wine. And um, the schooling, the the real education we have to do to become knowledgeable, uh, does not fit into my day. So <laughs> I don't. Uh, I get to look at the program and go, yeah, that's a good program. But I don't get to do a whole lot of like going to the client and tasting wine and having a thought because uh, I'm not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'd be good either, but it sounds like great fun. It is fun. We've been talking with Lee Carraher about her book, The Boomerang Principle, Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. Lee, what's the big takeaway from this book? Why, why would someone who's listening go out and, and buy it? I think the big takeaway is that we can sort of shed ourselves of this negativity that exists everywhere about people not being loyal to us and sort of put a positive spin on that and create environments where everyone that has worked with you, has been attached to you, can be valuable to you for your whole, their whole lives, right? Um, and when we do that, things get a lot easier. And I set out in the book to show people how they can do that by creating um, cultures of value, by creating cultures where intergenerational conflict is at a minimum, where conflict resolution happens quickly because we're people, we have conflict all the time, and where we can set the mechanism up that doesn't have to cost a lot of money or a lot of time or a lot of effort, where we can create this engine called um, that for alumni that keeps people coming back to us over and over again, either as customers, as employees, as contractors, as partners, as advocates. And the more we do this, the easier work becomes. And you know, in the end, the boomerang principle is all about making work um, not suck and easier <laughs> and um, place where people can craft their careers that are meaningful to them. And I think if we can do if we can all do that, we'll have a, a much healthier economy and B, we'll have uh, a lot more productivity in it. So at most employers, if they do anything regarding exit interviews and alumni, it's it's totally an afterthought. And mm -hmm. your book is about making it a, an actual principle out of it and how having that sort of begin with the end in mind focus can mm -hmm. become a, a, a true strategic advantage. Yes. So, I mean, I think that um, there are many, there are just many truths about business, right? <laughs> the only person who has to be there in the end is the person who turns off the light. And for <laughs> me, that's me, you know, because I own the company. Um, and uh, how we uh, keep people, you know, in a vastly dynamically changing environment where communication skills are so important to leadership, you know, we have to have a much larger arsenal about uh, around communication to be a leader, an effective leader today. Um, this is just another tool that people can use to help create those environments that are productive, profitable, and meaningful, which is really what um, I think knowledge workers in particular will be attracted to over time. Lee, where can people find out more about you? Sure. Um, you can follow me on my website, www.leecarraher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. You can follow me on Twitter at at Lee Carraher. Um, and you can get to my books from there um, and as well as my blog and my company, Double Forte, from there as well. What is the, what's the double in double forte? Oh my gosh. So double forte means very loud in music. Oh. 
my minor in college was music. My major was medieval history, which I use every day. Uh, but my <laughs> minor was uh, music, uh, and double forte is the uh, it's used two Fs on a on a uh, piece of music, and it means very loud. And when I started my company, I started with a partner, Dan, um, who has since left and is at a much, much larger company today. But there was two of us. We're really good at it. And our job is to help companies become very loud. So it's a triple entendre on Double Forte. Now, besides you, you run Double Forte, and uh-huh. obviously you write books. This is your second book. Yeah. How if if someone reads this book and they want and and they're not in the market for a, a PR or digital marketing firm, how else what what, what else can you do for them? Um, well, I talk about these topic leadership and how to create environments where people you know stay <laughs> good cultures. Um, I do workshops on this. I do keynotes. I, there's lots of resources off my website people can download that will help them. Um, that I show people in the books how to do things. Um, and I, you know, I consult with companies on this, um, on a project basis, you know, I usually come in and would give a large, large conversation with many, many people. Cause I, you know, it's not just leadership that needs to hear everything. Everyone needs to hear everything. And then I work with small groups as well. Um, either on a sort of a, a day basis or over a three to six month period as well. Very cool. And we will put all the links that Lee mentioned on our show notes for this episode. Lee Carraher, thank you for joining us in Engaging Leader. Jesse, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for having me. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. We'll provide all those links I mentioned in our show notes, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 155 as in episode 155. This is a production of Aspinale Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. In several areas, including talent management, workforce health engagement, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. <laughs> <laughs>